Storm clouds gather as recession looks likely in Western economies. I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. been talk of recession in the United States, in Europe, and in the United Kingdom. Inflationary pressure is one of the largest impacts. Inflation in the United Kingdom is 9% and going up. It's about the same in the United States and likely to increase. It's looking that European inflation is on the rise and the policy instruments to lower inflation seem to be monetary policy mainly through interest rates, which essentially looks like a demand-based solution, when in fact most of the inflationary pressure is coming from the supply side, with costs rising for raw materials, and most importantly, for the energy-making raw materials and transporting materials around the globe. Will taxation policy work? Well, again, difficult to see that reducing taxes would heighten demand and might exasperate supply chain problems rather than alleviate them. So what needs to happen? Well, there needs to be a plan. And at the moment, leadership in the UK is weak with regard to plans. And in the United States, leadership looks a little better, but perhaps not strong enough to push away the storm clouds of inflation. In Europe, it's not clear that any leader has a solution to the current problems. And if you work in supply chains, what you need is stability to get those supply chains working. You want to be able to move freely across borders. You want to be able to meet customer demand as and when required. And you can do without disruptions caused by instability and uncertainty because you you have enough problems dealing with disruptions on a daily basis just to get those goods to people on time and complete. If you trade internationally, one of the risks, of course, is the exchange rate. And this week's interest rate rise in the United States was to stave off inflation, but it also strengthened the dollar. And the Bank of England in the United Kingdom probably missed an opportunity to strengthen the pound. And the pound's been under pressure. But the Bank of England's mandate is to keep stability in the economy. And they have a target rate of 2% for inflation, which is ridiculous, now that we've got inflation at 9%. And it's likely to be 11% by November, according to the Bank of England. So why didn't they raise the rate more? It's still historically low, and you can always cut it. The Times newspaper in the United Kingdom says that uh, it's likely that interest rates in the United Kingdom will hit 3% by the end of the year, so they'll be forced to put up interest rates. But of course, if they act too slowly, and the Bank of England has a reputation currently for being slow off the mark, then uh, they'll already be under pressure and behind the clock by the time they raise those interest rates. And it'll keep the pound under pressure. The Federal Reserve, by contrast, took an aggressive stance, and that may well work to keep the dollar strong and at the same time stop inflation from getting out of hand. Inflation is at a 40-year high at present. Capital is cheap. The last time that interest rates were over 1% in the United Kingdom was back in January 2009. But historically, when inflation's high, interest rates have been much higher than they are presently. 
So let's look at the underlying causes of this inflationary pressure. Well, the biggest factor is energy costs. Energy costs for oil and gas are pushing up prices, and that's piling on the inflationary pressure on a daily basis. The war in Ukraine and the control that Russia has over the oil and gas into Europe is a significant contributor to this inflationary pressure. And it's necessary for the leaders of the economies affected to have a plan to bring about change to stop Russia having a stranglehold on this inflationary pressure. So that's number one. When any supply source is restricted, if demand remains constant, prices go up. If demand increases, prices go up more. And so what's happening presently is that there is a restriction on supply. There's little sign of that supply increasing. And so prices are being driven up. Now, of course, I talked about obstacles and opportunities in the supply chain news roundup this week. And we've identified one of the obstacles, one of the major obstacles that's presently causing the problem. The opportunity, of course, for suppliers of oil and gas are immense because they can benefit from the rise in prices. Governments, too, benefit through the taxes that they take on oil and gas. And so their income goes up, the producer's income goes up, the supplier's income goes up, And the ones badly affected are businesses and consumers because they have no way of lowering their input cost or the prices they pay to provide energy for manufacturing processes, to heat homes, to drive vehicles, to move ships around the globe and other means of transport or anything that depends on oil and gas. This inflationary pressure will of course impact sustainability goals because presently world economies are committed to achieving net zero carbon by 2050 and China by 2060. And the way to achieve those sustainability goals is to lower dependency on fossil fuel. And so what's happened in the past few years to ensure that this happens is that policy measures have imposed carbon taxes on fossil fuel. And that pushed up the price of those fossil fuels to make them less competitive against renewables. And of course, what's happening at the moment will mean that more taxes are paid on oil and gas because they're fossil fuels. So proportionately, those taxes are increasing, not the rate, but the amount that's taken by government. And so that's how government is benefiting from those increased sums brought in. Now, some of that money could be used to alleviate some of the pressures immediately. And it's a major challenge to maintain the balance. Nobody wants to lower the target of net zero carbon by 2050 or 2060 in China's case. Because that is the future of the planet. And without a planet, there's nothing else. The third thing that's happening as a consequence of this inflationary pressure is on food prices. Food prices are rising at the fastest rate for many years. 
And this is down to energy. So it's back to the energy cost. It's the energy cost that's driving those increases in food prices. It's the production cost because energy is needed to plant, harvest and process foods. It's also the cost of producing fertilisers for agricultural growth and those fertilisers consume energy and at the moment fertiliser is in short supply and so costs are being driven up in the production process or the processing processes involved in food manufacture, food production and of course in the transportation of food. Add to this the problem of grain shortages from Ukraine and Russia as a consequence of the war in Ukraine and the stranglehold that Russia has placed on Ukrainian ports to transport Ukrainian grain out of the country. And it's not simply the transportation of that grain, but it's all the damage that's been done to production capacity. It will take quite a few years for Ukraine's breadbasket to come back to some productive state equivalent to what it was prior to that war. So all of these factors together disrupt the balance in supply chains. And anyone that understands anything about systems will know that once you cause change in a system, it takes some time for that system to come back in control and to act more stably. And it's that Stability that's needed to reduce disruption and bring back smoother, more functioning supply chains. Reconfiguring, reimagining, reinventing supply chains is what many organizations are trying to do at a micro level to have more control over their own supply chain networks. And so, what you've seen in the past few months is organizations change the way they do things. So there's been a lot more effort into developing a supplier base, looking at the supply base and saying, have we got suppliers in the right places around the globe to be resilient against the levels of uncertainty and disruption that we are currently experiencing? And that might mean onshoring production in some cases, on some lines, it might be nearshoring production and it might mean changing the balance of risk away from those areas around the globe at distance where there is evidence and likely future disruption so that the risk can be minimised. Now in these processes, as they're enacted by organisations at an individual level, of course, the nature of the supply system in total will change. This type of change not only redistributes supply chains to different parts of the globe, but it will mean redistributing incomes, it will redistribute profits, and it will redistribute jobs. So the many supply chain reconfigurations that take place at this micro level will affect the macro environment and it will change the nature of global supply chains and the world order in those global supply chains. As jobs move around, as businesses reconfigure, relocate and reinvent their supply chains and their networks, 
to minimise the risk, all those changes, or the sum of those changes, will of course change the system. Now the talk of resilience in supply chains at governmental levels often turns into a question of sovereignty. And by sovereignty, what they really mean is control over the supply chain system. And whether governments can control the supply chain system is questionable. Certainly in some particular lines, they need to make an effort to control supply chains. And I'm thinking here of the commanding heights of the economy, as Karl Marx called it, those matters of security in defence, in energy, in food, then government has a major part to try and stabilise that part of the system. At the moment, most governments are failing to do that, and that needs to change. So I would agree that sovereignty in that realm is probably a desirable outcome. The problematic part becomes one of controlling everything, or trying to control everything. And if you try to do that, that can be counterproductive. And what it encourages is protectionism. Protectionism with tariffs and quotas which impede market mechanisms. And that would be seriously problematic. Rogue states, of course, have always been a problem in the world order. And when we talk about rogue states, those are states that prefer conflict to cooperation. It's cooperation that maintains stability and a degree of certainty in social systems and social arrangements. And without that stability, it's difficult for functionality within the system of those micro parts. And in an economic system, those micro parts, of course, are the many businesses, many organisations that have to cooperate and compete at the same time in a world economic system. World economic systems work better through cooperation. One only has to look at trade wars which have occurred because of protectionism and they can be harmful to the world order and to world economies. Turbulent environments and disruption in supply chains have been with us for the past couple of years but more recently they've changed form It was the pandemic at first, causing a variety of episodic disruptions. And now we're still living with the pandemic, which is less volatile than the situation in Ukraine and Russia's ambitions to take over parts of that country. The prognosis at present appears to be for a long war, according to European leaders. But these things can change quickly. They can go out of control or they can come to a swift end. The focus of leadership at present ought to be on deciding how to end the war. Ending the war would alleviate energy, food and distribution problems caused by the war. New and emerging patterns of change occur continuously and they do so to reflect the economic conditions and the environmental and global forces that shape those economic conditions. So as those conditions change, organisations will seek ways to mitigate risk, enhance operations and reconfigure, reshape and re-engage with different supply networks. While sovereignty may be the concern of governments, 
to protect strategic assets. Organizations simply want to mitigate risk and optimize supply chains so that they can deliver goods on time, complete and satisfy consumer demand. It's not just satisfying consumer demand, of course. There's the whole system of supply chains set up on a business-to-business basis to interact and contract and supply goods to organisations engaging in manufacturing and service processes. I mentioned that we are returning to a time with inflation currently in the United Kingdom at 9.1% this week where we might be seeing situations similar to those experienced in the 1970s. Others have made connections back to the 1930s with the disturbances in global trade and the rise of nationalism and protectionism and, of course, the rise of military actions. Now, in the 1970s, I guess not many people listening to this will know of a book by Alvin Toffler. And it was called Future Shock, and that was first published in 1970, just at the start of that decade, prior to the major disruptions a couple of years later, 72, 73 and onwards. And it was a period of turbulence, change and high inflation taking off. And Toffler was well attuned to the conditions of the time. He was a writer for Fortune magazine in the United States, and he was well situated to comment on the situation. And a moment or two just to reflect on some of the things he said in that book might be worthwhile. Part one of the book talked about the death of permanence. And I don't think any of us today think that anything is permanent. But in the everyday situations that we find ourselves trying to manage global trade and supply chains and networks and to do the best for our businesses and create opportunities, achieve that supply chain advantage and so on. We do try to continue today as if it were yesterday. And what I mean by that is we move on to continue our efforts in the best way possible to get those goods to our customers. And we do that often without thinking about what's happening around us. We may see it, we may witness it, we may suffer from it, we may benefit from it, but we don't think too much about that change or the nature of that change. But when we see lots of change and we're unable to absorb the situation and understand what's going on in the world, then we might become overwhelmed by it. And Toffler said that overwhelming change was damaging. It was a story about not being able to adapt and the failure to not necessarily foresee the future, but to move into that future by adapting to the conditions that are prevalent. Toffler referred to the roaring current of change, a current, he said, so powerful today that it overturns institutions, shifts our values and shrivels our roots. Change is the process by which the future invades our lives. And it's important to look at it closely, not merely from a grand perspective of history, but also from the vantage point of the living, breathing individuals who experience it. And I think that's the key to understanding change, to see it through the eyes and the experiences that people living through it do. So if in our mundane everyday life, 
as we work in supply chains. If we suddenly find the price of fuel rises by 30% in a short period of time and it pushes our cost up, we have little time to adapt or change to the new situation. And so, in many cases, there is little alternative but to absorb some of that cost, if not all of that cost, in the short term and then push prices up in the medium term. Now, if that happens, of course, that's inflation stored within the supply chain. It means that all of that inflation may not yet have risen to the surface. It means it's contained. But as time moves along, it will come up to the surface. And so it's realising the change, understanding the change, and being able to adapt quickly to that change that makes the difference between survival and opportunity. As the ancient Greek philosopher Democritus said, you can't step into the same river twice. And by this statement, he simply meant that time is a flow. It happens in the now. We experience what happens, but we can't go back and change that experience. So if we can't go back to change the experience, we have to adapt on the go. And it's very important to be flexible to do so. And in a sense, this is a difference between the firms that succeed and those that fail. And so when you are adapting quickly to the changing circumstances in which you find yourself and you're able to keep just one step ahead, that's important. And that's where supply chain advantage is likely to come from. And you'll see opportunities while you're on the go, while you're changing and adapting, you'll be able to see the opportunities. The problem is when we become overwhelmed with the change and we can't do anything. We become paralysed by the change that's around us and we feel unable to change the situation. Now that, in some circumstances, might be a reality. But in other circumstances, we have to look for the opportunities that these obstacles or these threats present. And it may take a little time. And getting to the future is about maintaining sufficient cash flow in an organisation, in the business, to get to that future or to attract investment to get to that future more quickly than we might have originally planned. And that's what organisations must do in the current circumstances. Plan for the future that's more immediate than you think. As Toffler noted, it's the rate of change that's important rather than the final destination. Well, that's it for the storm clouds gathering. I hope you can embrace the future and be successful. I'm Tony Hines, and I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. 
I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.